Today from the Global Lane, already squeezed by skyrocketing inflation, Americans and Europeans are about to get hit with higher energy costs. Our analysis shows that Americans in whole can be expected to pay over $14 billion more for energy and electricity this winter than they have in previous years. All the Europeans are going to get hit, but particularly those that are on fixed incomes, those that are at the poverty level, those that can least afford to pay more for energy. It's a bad situation. Pushback against the left. Will Americans vote to end cultural wokeism? The uh, red tsunami is going to wash away all the uh, the woking dead, the cultural you know Marxist zombies. The American people have had enough, and they're coming. Inflation and the economy top the list, but we'll look at the other issues that may affect the election outcome. And transgender surgery, growing concern over transient gender dysphoria. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Forecasters are predicting a colder than normal winter for about one quarter of the United States this season. And maybe warmer winter temperatures for parts of Europe. But when the cold winter comes, the poor and those on fixed incomes will likely find it more costly to heat their homes this year. Americans can expect to pay about $14 billion more for their winter heating bills over last year. And Europe is already feeling the squeeze from rising oil and natural gas costs due to the Ukraine war. Well, joining us to explain what is happening, why and what to do about it is the president of the Consumer Energy Alliance, David Holt. David, first, let's look internationally, the Ukraine war, sanctions on Russian oil, sabotage of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Now Saudi Arabia reducing oil production doesn't look like an affordable winter for European consumers. So how bad is it there? What other factors are contributing to higher costs in Europe? You know, really, it's a it's a worst case scenario. So Europe has invested a lot in renewable energy, a lot of the the, the component parts uh, that go into renewable energy uh, and the critical minerals that go into renewable energy are made by China. So the renewable sector of Europe relies on China. The fossil energy, natural gas in particular, they rely on Russia. So they really are pinched right now and, and there's really no relief on the horizon. As you mentioned, they're expecting a little bit of a warmer winter. So that's good news. I think you could all predict that Vladimir Putin was hoping for a colder winter that uh, made made Europe run back to Russia a little bit. Uh, but right now we're expecting a warmer winter, which is probably the only thing they have going for them right now. But it is a bad situation. It reflects years of bad energy policy decisions, not enough uh, redundant power, not enough reliable power, not enough low cost power. And all of us, all the Europeans are going to get hit, but particularly those that are on fixed incomes, those that are at the poverty level, those that can least afford to pay more for energy. It's a bad situation. Well, here on the home front, we were energy independent uh, about two years ago. So let's talk about that. The main reason we'll be paying $14 billion more for energy this winter than last year. What's the reason? You know, our energy policy in this country, like in Europe, is fundamentally broken. Uh, in 2020, we were producing about 13, a little over 13 million barrels a day of oil. And we were at that point considered kind of energy independent. Today, we're, we're producing about 11.8 million barrels a day. So we're over a million barrels a day less today than we were just a few years ago. If we were serious about our energy policy, we could quickly increase that amount of oil that we're producing here at home, meet our demand, help drive down the price, not only here at home, but globally, because the United States is still the number two consumer 
of oil and natural gas in the world, behind only China now. Recently, we were number one. Uh, but if we're producing what we need here at home, because global oil is a global commodity, we can help lower that price globally. If we have excess oil, excess natural gas, can we export that to our friends in Europe? Certainly with LNG exports, we're trying to do that now, uh, but we need to do more of it. But like you said, uh, we, we looked at the Department of uh, Energy statistics and what they're predicting for this summer. And our analysis shows that Americans in whole can be expected to pay over $14 billion more for energy and electricity this winter than they have in previous years. That is unconscionable. It's not a situation that we uh, should expect. And Americans should demand more. And with an election coming up, we should only vote for those candidates that are serious about energy policy, because right now, our energy policy in this country is broken. Yeah, and, and people on fixed incomes are the hardest hit. Just before the midterm election, President Biden announced last week he'd release another 15 million barrels of oil from the nation's strategic petroleum reserve. So your thoughts on that? We haven't seen SPR releases like this since 1984, and I always thought it was for war emergencies, that type of thing. So what do you think? You know, yeah, and there's a reason we haven't seen it since 1984. It's not done. It's not done for this reason particularly. It's, it, this seems to be uh, uh, politically motivated. Uh, they're, they're, the, the White House spokesperson last week finally got a question on whether the president has been meeting with the oil and gas industry. And she said, no, the president hasn't even met with the oil and gas industry who, who are there, stand ready to help. The other point to make here is the United States produces the cleanest energy in the world, including oil and natural gas. And not only is this president looking at releases from the SPR, but they're going to OPEC nations, they're going to Venezuela, they're going to other nations around the world, begging them to produce more oil uh, and, and really being met with kind of a closed door. But those nations produce oil that's dirtier than that produced here in the United States. So not only are we not meeting our energy needs, we're harming the environment as well. So it's really a triple whammy here. We're getting hit by the pocketbook. We're getting hit by inflation because energy is the number one driver for inflation in this country. If you think about it, when the price of diesel goes up, the price of every commodity goes up, food, clothing, lumber, shoes, everything. Um, so it's it's a bad situation. It could be fixed pretty quickly in this country. We could produce more oil energy quickly, but as yet, we're not seeing the political wherewithal to do that. Okay, we'll see. I, I'm sure it'll be on the minds of voters when they go to the polls in less than two weeks now. Consumer Energy Alliance President David Holt. Thank you, David, for providing us with those insights. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Polls are predicting a red wave is coming November 8th as Americans choose who they want to represent them in the U.S. Congress and in their states. So is leftist cultural wokeism about to die once and for all, or will it rise again after suffering only a temporary setback? We're here to set us straight as longtime conservative producer, media influencer, and promoter A.J. Rice. A.J. is CEO of Publius PR, a premier Washington, D.C. communications firm and author of Woking Dead. A.J., it's great to talk to you and see your face. So a red wave is expected. But do you get the feeling that cultural wokeism may suffer defeat on November 8th, but uh, may rise again? What do you think was, is going to happen here? Absolutely. The uh, red tsunami is going to wash away all the, uh, the Woking Dead, the cultural you know, Marxist zombies that are trying to take over our schools, 
our churches, our media, our entertainment. The American people have had enough, and they're coming. Well, you know, in your book, you say this has been planned for decades, and the left saw an opportunity to advance their cultural agenda when the Democrats yielded, uh, yielded to Bernie Sanders and his allies to get Joe Biden into the White House. So explain what you believe happened in 2020 and the expected loss of the U.S. House and possibly the Senate uh, this time around doesn't necessarily mean Democrats are going to shift course. Or do you see them moderating in 2024? Well, look, I know we're winning when I see Barack Obama out there on a podcast that nobody listens to basically saying, hey, we got to cut some of this woke stuff out. We're becoming joyless. We're becoming buzzkills. We're becoming the fun police. Now, Obama sees it now, and he's got good instincts as a tactician. He understands that when left-wing guys like Bill Maher start agreeing with, you know, David Brody and Gary Lane and A.J. Rice on wokeism, that there's a problem coming. So memo to Liz Cheney, there's a true insurrection brewing. It's an insurrection of parents. And I tell people all the time, I tell conservatives, I tell religious people, libertarians, you can't, oh, you can't look to Washington for your answers. So start small and build out. Take back your school district. Take back your borough council. You know, take, you know, get involved. Go to these meetings. Mix things up with these people. Part of the problem was, and, the, and you know, the left kind of brought this on themselves, when they, when they locked down the country and they sent all the parents home, the parents started looking through the textbooks. <gasps> and what did they find, Gary? They found the rewriting of American history. They found the 1619 Project. They found, you know, uh, everything from, you know, cultural Marxism through critical race theory. So, you know, and, and then they found out that there's men competing against their, their daughters on the volleyball team. And they're letting, you know, Bill and, and Harry into the women's locker room. So, look, I'm in Virginia. I'm right across the river from Swamp Central. And I'll tell you, Yunkin did it. Miami-Dade County just flipped from red to blue. And Barack Obama's putting out the clarion call. He sees it coming. And, you know, the current president, I mean, you know, good luck. Uh, he's just shuffling about. I'm not sure he knows what's going on. I mean, he's doing interviews with trans people while, the, while, while Rome is burning. So that's where their priorities are. The American people are getting soaked by a medical tyranny, a financial tyranny, and a cultural tyranny, and they've had enough. Everyone assumes Trump is preparing to run again, but I'm hearing, AJ, from a lot of people, many of them voted for Trump in 2020. They're saying they'd like, they liked his policies, but not his egoism, continual sniping, unpresidential demeanor. Many want a conservative candidate next time who has the same policies, but is perceived as kinder and gentler. So what say you on that one? Well, look, he's the great disruptor. And when the country gets that bad, the only, I mean, Trump becomes the vaccine that America needs. And look, it's not always pretty for everyone. He's a showman. He's always been a showman. But his policies on trade and immigration, you could go back to the 80s. He's talking to Larry King. They haven't changed. So the Republican Party, in some ways, the base anyway, not the fancy people here in the Beltway, but they kind of move towards him. But I get it. I get it. Um... Look, I'm from Philadelphia, so Trump's demeanor doesn't bother me. But, you know, one of the reasons Youngkin won is because a lot of the, you know, college-educated 
you know, white, uh, you know, housewives of America just couldn't take either the tweets or, or the brashness or they couldn't handle, you know, the billionaire from Queens with the hard hat on. They couldn't handle it. I get it. Glenn Youngkin comes along and he looks like your husband. He's wearing his fleece vest. And, you know, for the most part, there's not much daylight between what Youngkin, the Youngkin's vision of the country and Trump's. A lot of it is just style. And that's what I think you're talking about. Okay, we'll see if uh, there's a pushback against this wokeism. I think it's expected uh, coming up in less than two weeks now. The book is The Woking Dead, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. A.J. Rice, thanks for setting us straight today. Good to talk with you. Gary, you're a patriot. Keep fighting, my brother. With the U.S. midterm election now less than two weeks away, which critical issues are likely to influence the way Americans vote? Pollster George Barna, director of research of the Cultural Research Center, joins us now to share his latest findings. George, it's always good to have you with us. So unsurprisingly, you found that 61% of those surveyed said inflation and the rising cost of living will have the greatest influence on the way they vote. But what else topped the list? Well, there were other economic issues as well that were high on the list. Food prices and food shortages were mentioned by 60% of the public. Oil and gasoline policies and prices mentioned by almost as many, 58%. And then beyond that, you had issues like crime and safety, policing. That was mentioned by 50%. And then the cost and quality and the availability of healthcare insurance and healthcare by 47%, protection against terrorism, same percentage, 47%. Those were the top five. Well, I guess if what you've been told proves to be true, then the Democrats are in trouble. Maybe that's why they're campaigning on other issues like abortion. So what did you find there? How far down the list was that issue, abortion? And are Americans concerned enough about abortion to influence the way they vote or not? Abortion seems to be one of those issues where if you're already conservative in your leanings, if you've already made up your mind, about who you're going to vote for, uh, it's not going to influence you much at all. Liberals, progressives, people who favor Democrats, people who are registered Democrats, those are the types of people who would say abortion is more important to them. But even there, it's not nearly as important an issue as what we found related to the economy. So I think your initial statement is right. In this election, Democrats are swimming uphill trying to find an issue that will knock Republicans out of the race. Well, that's hard to find. So what other less significant issues are candidates pushing that don't really resonate with voters this time around? You know, it was interesting when we looked at the bottom of the list, the issues that people say really are not going to have much influence at all on their voting. It was things like foreign policy, which again is a good thing for the Democrats because that's been pretty much a failure as well. But we can look at things like religious freedom. There weren't many groups that said that that was very significant to them or kind of a, a compelling issue that would cause them to vote differently. Other issues such as environmental policies, again, that's one that Democrats have been pushing, but very few people other than young adults seem to think that that's something that's terribly important. Uh, the size, authority, and, and performance of government surprisingly, not something that people are saying is going to push them in one direction or the other. 
and income inequality and redistribution. Again, one of the bottom five issues, even though those on the radical progressive end of the continuum are saying that ought to be one of the ways that we redefine America. Okay, I'm sure you found some disparities between uh, concerns voiced by older Americans versus younger ones, also maybe black versus white, other people of color. Tell us about those. Uh, yeah, we do find, for instance, one of the fascinating things about, let's say, the black population is they were the only group in the country to rate racism as the single most important issue that will be impacting the way that they choose to vote. Uh, when we look at younger people, we find that, as I mentioned, abortion is important to them. Racism is also important to them, not tops on the list, as it is with the black community, but very important to them. And health insurance issues are also key to them. In contrast, when you look at people 50 and older, regardless of what segment within that 50 or older population you look at, you find that crime, health care costs, and protection against terrorism were the only things other than economic issues that were toward the top of the list. George, I, I want to go back to this a minute on religious freedom, because that's our First Amendment, freedom of speech, religious freedom. And I'm sure people don't go and ask their candidates, hey, where do you stand on religious freedom and, and, and freedom of speech? But uh, those are very important issues. Have you seen a, a change in that at all over the years? You know, what we've seen is that people have become less interested in that issue. It's almost as if we've taken that for granted and we assume that we will always have religious freedom, which is particularly shocking after a couple of years of COVID lockdowns where churches across the country were shut down. But I think one of the outcomes of that particular era was that many people realized they lived their life just fine without a lot of church going and a lot of church activity. And so there is a reshaping of the way that people think about religious freedom. They do want the freedom to believe whatever they want to believe. But to this point in time, at least, they think they still have that freedom. What do you think is likely to happen uh, in two, less than two weeks and why? Well, I think Republicans are likely to regain the House. I think they're probably likely to gain control of the Senate as well. So we'll see what happens. It's, I don't think it's going to be as big a red wave as some people have been predicting in the past. But I do think Republicans are going to come out of the election better than they went into it. Okay. Bolster George Barna, it's always good to talk with you, George. Thank you for accommodating us, and we'll see what happens. God bless you. Thank you, and same to you. Transgender surgeries for kids? No way. A recent poll from the Convention of States Action and the Trafalgar Group finds that more than three-quarters of voters polled, 78.7%, say minors should be required to wait until they reach the age of 18 to undergo permanent sex change surgery or to legally use puberty blockers. 84.6% of independent voters and 53.2% of Democrats agree. The Convention of States Action points out that young people have to be 16 years of age to drive, 18 to vote, and 21 to drink alcohol. Yet they can get sex change surgeries as young as 6 or 7. The poll comes at the same time that England's National Health Service, the NHS, warns that, quote, gender dysphoria in teens could be just a transient phase. You think? That's what many conservative Christians and even some doctors have been saying all along. Folks, how many of you women went through a tomboy stage as a preteen or young teen?
Quite normal, don't you think? Aren't you glad now, especially if you're a mother, that your parents didn't force you to have life-altering sex change surgery? Or guys, if you tried to walk in mommy's high heels or painted your face with makeup, aren't you glad mommy didn't ask a surgeon to butcher your genitalia? It's happening in Western countries today, but no matter how hard doctors may try, no matter how many lies they alter with surgeries, hormones, and puberty blockers, they can't make a female male and a male female. They're not God. They're more like Dr. Frankenstein. Not only is pushback against this insanity happening in the UK, but also right here in the USA. Several states are poised to take action. Michigan lawmakers are considering legislation that would impose a maximum prison sentence of 25 years if a person, quote, knowingly or intentionally consents to, obtains, or assists with a gender transition procedure for a child. Other states, Texas, Arkansas, Alabama, and Arizona, have already enacted similar laws which have been temporarily blocked by courts. Folks, liberals will tell you that this is discrimination against children because states are denying them gender-affirming care. But in reality, there's a lot of money in this child abuse. Last month, commentator Matt Walsh unveiled a video of one doctor gushing that a female-to-male chest reconstruction surgery could earn her $40,000. A growing number of transgender persons say they regret changing their sex and they want to change back. And three years ago, my CBN News colleague Dale Hurd interviewed Walt Heyer, author of the book Trans Life Survivors. Heyer had gender reassignment surgery to become female. He later transitioned back to a male. Heyer told Hurd his problem and the problem of many transgenders is a condition known as disassociated identity disorder caused by childhood trauma. They just don't want to be who they are. They don't want to be the person who's been abused and hurt. Folks, let's stand with Heyer, who says what confused kids, their parents, and others considering this life-altering surgery really need is the loving hand of Christ. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.